uh, we're going to look at unity through humility this morning. Unity through humility. Philippians uh, chapter 2, we'll be reading verses 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by becoming um, by becoming, I've lost my place. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the, t- at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. This is the word of God. I've been doing uh, reading glasses in my study, so maybe it's time for me to bring reading glasses into the pulpit. Um. This morning, we want to only focus on the first five verses of this text I just read uh, because we want to, next week, just really dive into that Christology that's there that just, ex- just explains what Christ has done. If you have an unbeliever that you've been thinking about inviting to church, man, next Sunday will be a great time as we just gather and, and just look at these amazing words about what Christ has done. But this morning, we want to look at... We want to look at... Um, unity. Unity through humility. We want to look at the enemy within. Last, uh, we kind of closed the verses that closed last week, really looked at, hey, we've got some enemies out there that, that Philippians, you need to be aware of. But now Paul is really going to begin to look at the enemy from within. The j- danger that exists in the church and uh, a threat to unity and the lack of humility. Um, years ago, uh, and I don't think this is fake news, I researched it enough uh, to, to, to feel like this happened by the many accounts of it, but there was a church in Dallas, okay, and they split, uh, and things were so bad, they sued each other uh, in the court system, even though the Scripture says not to do that, that Christians shouldn't sue one another, they had lost sight. The, 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 the uh, conflict was so huge that they didn't care. They were taking each other to court um, to sue each other over the church property of who was going to get the church property, these two factions in the church. And when they went to civil court, the court said, this is the job of an ecclesiastical uh, court. So, like, the, the, the government was more biblical than the church and said, a church body needs to handle this. And so they kind of went to like church court. And so they finally kind of figured out, okay, this is the, the, fraction, the fraction who, uh, who need uh, to have the church built, and this is, this is how it's going to go down. 
But you know, in all that process, they researched where did all this start? Where did the conflict start? Okay, was it over some great theological battle? Uh, was there some great moral failing? Uh, they, they, they just said, we've got to figure out there's just so much turmoil. Let's try to trace this back to what went wrong. And would you believe that when they traced it back, it goes back to one of the pastors at a fellowship received less ham than the child and to be in conflict and eventually split in a terrible split over ham portions. Folks, there is a danger out there. There are people that hate the church. There's people that hate the gospel. But we must never, we must always remember that it's not just the dangers out there, but it's the danger within us. It's the those it's the worldliness that we still have within us, the worldliness uh, to, to keep looking out for number one. And before we start on the text, I want to grab some context uh, because when I first introduced Philippians, I talked about it's important to know what was going on. Okay, Paul's not just throwing a letter out there to people he doesn't, he doesn't know. He's throwing a letter out there to, to people he has intimate knowledge of them he knows what is going on okay in their church and so we have an instance what while paul has praised them and it's clear that the philippians was were a great church they were a great group of people but there was division uh, or at least paul began to see there's a possibility for some strong division in this good church and we see this we're going to jump ahead for a moment to chapter 4 uh, verse 2 and this is kind of we, we we see revealed just some personal issues that were happening in the church paul says this and now he's going to aim at, at two specific ladies in the church i entreat euodia and i entreat syndicate to agree in the lord yes I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So there, there are these two women, okay? We have a strong church, but we have two women that are odds. And Paul is so nervous about what's happening with these two women that he says, we've got to be careful here. And he addresses these two women in his letter. He says, you've got to agree in the Lord. Now, there's some inferences I think we can make. For, I mean, he doesn't say this is what's going on. This is what they're fighting about. We don't know exactly what they were fighting about. But the couple of things I want us to notice in the context of this church is is that even the strongest church is much more fragile than we think. This is a good church. It's a great church. And yet, it's threatened by two women who are in disagreement. Are, are you in disagreement with somebody at Wyatt? You think, oh, that'll never turn into anything. That'll never hurt this church. Paul was concerned about it. We have to be very careful when we develop a feeling of disagreement 
and bitterness towards a fellow church member because the health and the future of the church may lie in the in the in in that. We also can see here that even good godly people in disunity can tear a church apart. Paul said some things about the, these women. He says he says that their names are written in the book of life. So these are saved women. Not only that, he is saying, he says, they have labored with me for the gospel. And so these are women that had worked hard with Paul and the gospel. These were good women. And yet, they were in disagreement with each other, so much so that Paul was scared of what it was going to do to the church. You know, when, when, we call, when someone causes disunity in the church, it's not always a wolf in sheep's clothing. That's what this verse is saying. Sometimes it's, sure, it's sheep doing dumb things. It's sheep getting carried away in issues that they shouldn't be getting carried away about. And it's, it's, it's sheep that are not handling their conflict where they're not going to each other. They're getting different groups together in the church to fight it out. And I, I think we see from the way Paul addresses this that even insignificant disagreements can do great harm. Don't you want to know the nature of the conflict? I mean, Paul, your name and names already. Like, tell us what these women were mad about. What were they disagreeing about? But we, we don't. No, and it's hard to believe that it's of gospel significance because I think if it was gospel significance, Paul would say, hey, you're wrong and you're right. You're standing for the gospel. You're not standing for the gospel, and, and you need to get it right because this person's right. He doesn't do that. He says, hey, y'all need to come together and agree in the Lord. Come together and agree in the Lord. And if it was a gospel issue, it would be a much more significant thing that Paul would have told them. But I want to know, right? Was Euodia an essential oil fan? And Sinduki was, uh, 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 was a, a plexus advocate? Man, they were just, essential oil is better. Plexus is better. This will change your life. No, this changes your life. This is what it's about. Was Sinduki a a public school advocate, and Euodia was a homeschool advocate? Was it simply an argument about who had the worst name? Most hard to pronounce. Whatever it was, Paul seemed to believe it was not of gospel significance. And we need to be careful when we elevate preferences and things i mean even some theological issues it's totally okay for us to to have differing views on it as long as it's not a gospel centric so i say all that so that you know this is why paul is going to talk about unity in this letter he's going to do it uh several times from here on out this is why he talks about the importance of humility because he sees a danger on the horizon. I think I feel like this is probably still a church in good condition 
but Paul just sees a danger, and he's addressing it. He's trying to nip it in the bud, uh, as we might say. So now getting into the actual text here. I think first we see what should drive us towards unity through humility. I think we see that in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. So, like, why does Paul use if here? Why does he use this this if clause and and talks about, well, if there's encouragement in Christ or uh, if there's comfort in love? I mean, Paul's already been talking about how comforty he's been in their love. He's already talked about, man, the encouragement there is in Christ. Like, Paul's not saying that as if to say, this stuff's up in the air. He's saying this, these ifs because he's kind of making them ponder in your mind. Are these things true? And underneath what Paul is saying, of course they're true. Absolutely there is encouragement in Christ. There's partnership with the Spirit. So let's, let's briefly look at each of these. First he talks about there's any encouragement in Christ. And that should drive us towards unity. There's a little more uh, mean when we hear encouragement, we just we just think about a kind word, right? Like, hey, you can run this 5K. I'm cheering for you. We think of that as encouragement. You can do this, but but where, the way it's used here and in, in, in the Greek, it's really more of a, a pushing, a pressing forward in obedience. It's it's hey, when you look at Christ, you should be compelled into obedience. You should be compelled to follow Him. And what we'll get into next week, uh, and what, what Paul was, where Paul was going with this, was when he, he talks about what Christ has done. And how, I mean, the, the center of our faith is a God who condescend, condescended. It was a God who, who came, who, who really stripped of Himself, of, of what He deserved, and, and, and the comfort that, that He should have been able to just enjoy all of His days in eternity but he, he stripped all that away and he came and he it says he was obedient even obedient to death on a cross like the worst way to die so if that is the center of our faith how can we as a people not humble ourselves if that's what our god did who is unlike any of the other gods the false gods his story's his, the truth of what he did, it's unlike because all of them, they stayed in their comfort. But our God came. And so how can any of us say, I don't want to be unified. I don't want to look for humility. I don't want to have humility in my life. Like, if you can't identify the fact that we need to live that way, we need to be encouraged to live that way because of what Christ did, something is extremely wrong in our faith and our view of ourselves and what Christ had done. It says if there's any encouragement in Christ, and of course there is, when you look at what He's done. If there's any comfort from love, and comfort from love should drive us to unity as well. This is likely more in reference to the love Paul and the Philippians uh, had for one another. Um, the church should be a place that loves one another. 1 John 4, 7 says, 
Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Isn't there just great comfort in in, in having the love of people that know who you are? People that know your situation, like Paul, like, man, he's in jail, like some people had disowned him, some people were operating their ministry against him, but these people said, I don't care if he's in jail, I love him. And Paul, even despite the fact that he knows that there's some things, even though they're a great church, he knows, hey, there's some fighting inside. He doesn't, he looks past that and he loves them. I think about my love, the love I received from my wife, who unlike you has, has seen me on, on my worst moments. And yet every day she chooses to love me still. And yet that love fails in comparison to, a, to the love of a God who even sees deeper into the darkness of my soul and loves me. There's comfort there, right? And then just loving that way. Tim Keller says this, to be fully known and truly loved is a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness and fortifies us for any difficulty that life can throw at us. We, we should have comfort, not just in the love of God, but we should have comfort in the people of, of our congregation that love us. And hopefully you, you have people in this congregation, I do, that, that know me more than anybody and that I'm not afraid to, to really be myself and say, these are my weaknesses, this is what I'm struggling with, and yet they love me still. And that should be the love that we have for one another in the church, the same love that God has for us. We see that the work of the Spirit should drive us to unity as well. Not only do we have people around us to, that, that can comfort us with their love, but we have a Spirit within us. Y'all, to be humble, to put others above ourselves is one of, if not the most, unnatural acts a human being can do. And if so if you think you can do that on your own, if you think you're going to be driven on your own to, to preserve unity through humility, you're wrong. It is only the Spirit of God in you that's going to change you and help you to count others more than than you count yourself so there is partnership is there partnership in the spirit of course of course there is and he says affection and sympathy should drive us towards unity again this is thinking of one another having affection for one another to love the people in your church so much that their greatest joys become your joys. That you're, so, that, that, that you're so happy that they're happy that, man, it's like it's happening to you. There's no jealousy. It's just like, man, I'm so glad that that's happening in their life. But to love also each other in sympathy so much so that, that when, our, 
when something horrible happens to one of us, we should all feel it. We should all think about ourselves if we were in that situation and how it might affect us and hurt us. And to feel it. And to let their sorrow in many ways be our very own sorrow because we love them so much. And so these are the things that Paul says. If these things are true, then why, why wouldn't you be about unity in the church? And next, he talks about in what things we are to pursue unity through humility. First, he says we're to be of one mind, of the same mind, united in one mind. Does does this mean that we, we must agree on everything? Does this mean that we all must become one big brain and all like the same kind of food, all like the same kind of music, all have exactly the same theological views in every area does this mean that we need to be cult-like where we the pastors just hand down uh what hey this is what you need to believe this is what you need to do with this is what you need to do and you just buy it hook line and sinker with some kind of cult would no we but we do need to be one-minded in some things we need to be one-minded on on essential doctrine That is why we as a church have a doctrinal statement. To say that these are are the things that, hey, you need to be together with us on this, or or there's going to be enough disagreement that it's going to be hard to be of one mind because these are the important things. Especially as it relates to the gospel. Can you imagine a church being healthy or a church standing when we all have 20 views of what the gospel is and what the good news is, and, and we have to be united, united around the fact that the gospel is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross on our behalf. We also need to be one, have one mind in our mission. God has given the church their mission statement. No, you know, other organizations, they need to come up with a mission statement. What's going to be our mission? We don't do that because we may can paraphrase a little bit. But God's given us the mission, and that's the Great Commission. And that is our job to make disciples of all nations. That is the mission of the church. Now, we may do other things. We should do other things. On social, some social issues, we should be a mouthpiece for God's truth. When it comes to abortion, certainly we should interject ourselves into actions and words that will promote life. Should we as a church care about the poor and the condition of the poor? Sure. Should we care about human trafficking absolutely the church i mean god tells us we need to care about what's going on in our world and people that are hurting but we need to always remember that our central focus our central mission is the gospel of christ and nothing should ever ever endanger that we are here to spread 
the gospel of Christ. We are here to preach it. And if we ever anything ever comes and and threatens that, we we can't let it because we have to be one-minded in doctrine in essential doctrines and we have to be one-minded in our mission that we are about the gospel of Christ. And I know there there are gospel ramifications for for some of the things I listed. I, I'm not saying that they don't play a huge part in the gospel and what it is, but always remember that preaching Christ and preaching the gospel and making disciples is our primary mission. It says here we need to be united in one love. Through through the love of Christ, we are brought together as one people. As one people, we're, we're called to love one another with that love. You know, people in our society will, man, they define love in many ways. You look at a Hollywood movie and you can see a definition of love that maybe Hollywood has and you can talk about romantic love and, and that kind of, and man, we, we have so many different ways of defining love, but we need to realize the one love that we are to be about in the church is God's love, which he demonstrated, as we're told in Scripture, he demonstrated his love towards us and that while we are sinners, Christ died for us. So if we were to come up with a definition of love out of that demonstration, it would be something like this. Love is acting, okay, or, or doing something. Christ, God didn't just say He loved us. He did something for us. Love is acting for the benefit of another without thinking what they can give you in return. That is Christian love. That is the love that God has for us and the love we are to have with, for one another. United under that idea of love that we're here to serve one another, to love one another, because and that's what God did for us. He acted. He did things for us. And he's, we're to be uh, of the same accord, of, of, of the one united in full accord, to, to, again, to be together where it matters. We have to come together where it matters. How do we achieve unity through humility? I think we have in verses 3 through 5, we have just that classic concept that the Bible throws at us time and time again of you need to put off something, you need to put off a sinful action that you're doing, and you need, but you don't need to just do that. You need to put on the godly act that you're supposed to be doing. We're to, to put off selfishness it says in verse 3 do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit and in verse 4 let each of you look not only to his own interests so we are to put off selfishness and conceit there are these are attributes that make the world go round they're attributes that make your business world go round You've got to look out for yourself. You've got to advance yourself. But there's no no place in the church for selfishness and conceit. For selfish ambition and conceit. And I love how here it says, 
look not only to his own interests. There, there, needs, no, there needs no instruction given on looking out for your self-interest. This very morning, as just about every morning, my one-year-old woke up and couldn't find the passy in the bed. And let me tell you what her reaction was. It was not, hey, I know it's Sunday morning. Dad, I know you're preaching today. You've got to get your mind right on that. Mom, I know you've got to get dolled up for church. I'm just going to lay here. When you get a chance, come find my passy for me. That's not what we get. We get absolute horror. That we think she has hurt herself. She's fallen, she's climbed on the top bunk and dove off on her head. No, no, she can't find her passing. And I found it in about three seconds, then she's good. We didn't teach her that. That is the most natural reaction that we have when our self-interests are being threatened. So we don't have to look to be taught to look out for our own self-interest. And looking out for your own self-interest is not wrong, right? It doesn't say here that it's wrong. It says not only do that, but look to the interest of others. Like, it's okay to, to you know, look nice when you go to work. And it's good, you know, it's good to take a shower. Because I guess that's really thinking of others as well. To, to look out for what you need to, to, to do that, to, to live your life. That's fine. But this verse says, but you've got, you've got to look in the same way towards others that you look at your own needs. And, and the thing that we're to put on is, is our love for, one another, love for one another. It says, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Like, like, look at others and think about what they need more than you think about what you need. Again, unnatural, but yet it's what we're commanded to do. And again, we have the partnership of the Spirit to help us with that. Let each of you, and this is let each of you not only look to the own, the, uh, his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So we put off selfishness and we, and we change the way we behave and we begin to act in such a way that we consider other people. But don't forget verse 5, which is kind of the bridge into the text that we'll be looking at next Sunday. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Love that. Because he's saying it's not just sheer willpower, y'all. Hey, this is, you've got to go against your nature to look out for number one. You've just got to try harder. But this verse says, no, you've got to look to Christ and you've got to have the mind of Christ. It doesn't say, hey, this is available for you. If you just cut. It says it's already yours. Like when you came to Christ, that mind of Christ is in you. Okay? And so none of us can say, I can't be humble. I can't put others. If you're saying that, it means you don't know Christ because it says right here, you have the mind of Christ within you. And so don't just try harder, 
but look to Christ, look to His example, pray in the partnership of the Spirit and ask God to help you awaken the mind of Christ that's within you. Christ has already been humble for us. I want to conclude uh, this morning with just uh, one of our uh, vision statements. Or I'm sorry, one of our core values. Um, that we as a church, we've had seven things that, hey, these are things that we value. These are the things that, that are important to us as a church that, that our church is, uh, needs to be about. And I think just the way that it's stated, it's, it, it goes along so well with this text. And I encourage you, um, Josh is always so good about, uh, Pastor Josh is always so good about just bringing us back to, to these statements. And they're, they're good. They really are good. And it's our last core value is unity in Christ-centered community. And this is what the explanation of that is and, and instruction in that is. We believe that God has brought us, brought together a diverse group of people for the health of the church and His glory. Okay? We're different. We go on to talk about that different a little more. It says, out of many cultural, ethnical, economical, and generational backgrounds, we are called to become one family in Christ. We will work diligently, okay? We will work diligently. Get that? We will work diligently to maintain our unity with one another and to not allow these diversities to become divisive. When unity is shaken, we will seek restoration in a scriptural manner. We will address our issues by speaking to one another, not about one another. Regarding matters of the gospel, we require unity. Regarding non-essential matters, we seek liberty. But in all matters, we seek to love one another. Man, that's great. That's so scriptural right there. That just screams the text we just studied. And so I would just encourage you as you stand to think through the scripture, to think through what we as a church have said is a uh, core value, and ask yourselves, are you at odds? Are you like these two women? Is there someone that, that you know you have something against or someone that has something against you that there's disagreement? Do you need to seek agreement in the Lord to come together and, and figure that out and, and, and let there be healing? Just think through how God has spoken to you through your word this morning as you please stand uh, and as Brother Donnie and our musicians come. Let's pray. Dearly Father God, I thank you for the fact that we are a church in, in many ways who, who are united, but God, it's, we're not perfect in that. that. There are relationships that are strained. There are, uh, like in this good church, that 
in Philippians that, God, there are uh, cracks that could become chasms. And God, I pray that you would be with us and and, uh, reveal those things to us. Help us to respond. God, more than anything, help us to be dependent on the Spirit that that we're there's partnership with there's within us that's working these things and then there's Christ who has who has made his mind part of us and our actions and help us God to, to seek that mind that's within us that we might live our lives in such a humble way as Christ did by becoming obedient to give himself for others even death on a cross in Jesus name I pray amen